wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Well, folks, we are officially less than 10 days away from the 2021 NFL Draft. And at this moment, all 32 clubs are finalizing their boards and strategizing potential trades, so they are 100% ready to go when they are on the clock. And in order to help get you fans ready in these final days, we are at Sports Crunch continue our Dash to the Draft Divisional Tour with a stop in the division with the two oldest teams in pro football. And I assume most of you know this, it's the NFC North. And joining us to discuss what should be on the draft day menu for the Lions, Vikings, Bears, and Packers, it is a pleasure to welcome back our good friend and man of many football hats, Cole Thompson, to the show. What's up, Cole? Dave, doing well, man. Glad to be on here. I'm glad that I have the opportunity to be breaking down another conference with you. I think that it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, this is one that I very much enjoy. This is a conference I think is actually a lot more competitive than people are going to give it credit for. And depending on how this draft goes, you may be seeing a few new coaches in the market in this uh, probably division by the end of next season. You said it, Cole, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But let's start off with the cellar dwellers, the Detroit Lions, who begin yet another different regime with a new GM in Brad Holmes and a new head coach in Dan Campbell. And when you look at this roster, it has tons and tons of pressing needs from top to bottom. So the Lions have quite a difficult decision to make with that seventh overall pick. And given the unprecedented amount of uncertainty surrounding this draft, would it be wise if they traded down and added even more future picks to their arsenal? They already have uh, four first-round picks in the next uh, two drafts in 2022 and 2023 because of the Matthew Stafford trade, keep that in mind. Or if, say, the last of the top four quarterbacks falls their lap, do they stay put and take that quarterback and have him spend a year behind Jared Goff? And what if Panay Sewell and or Jamar Chase somehow make it to seven? What should the plan of attack be for Campbell and Holmes in their first draft in Detroit? You know, it's a weird question because of to me, I, I feel like this is the most easy pick in the world, and, and it just feels like it's so complex because of everything is based off the dominoes that fall ahead of them. I mean, you look at this roster from top to bottom, basically, I think it is the worst roster in football. I really do. I have said on the record multiple times, I think Detroit has TJ Hawkinson, maybe a resurge Quinton Dunbar, who's also well past his prime, DeAndre Swift. Maybe you could throw Taylor Decker in there as a high end, I mean, a middle tier left tackle. And that's about it. I, I mean, Frank Ragnow is probably the only other guy I would say who's an all pro center who, who you can really say is a great player on the team. So it's a lot of bones that you have. You have to find your new franchise stars. But at the same time, this is a roster that's going to take time to build. This is a roster that's going to take, you know, years to kind of figure out. And I think that the Ford family did a really good job giving both the GM and Brad Holmes and the head coach and Dan Campbell exclusively six-year contracts to really build this roster in the right image, knowing, hey, we're going to be bad for this year and probably next year, but in three years from now, we're going to be hopefully a playoff contender, not just an NFC North contender, but a deep playoff contender, something that the, the Lions have been looking for since well before Matthew Stafford even joined in the mix during the Rod Marinelli, you know, 0-16 seasons. I mean, that's how bad we're looking at with this team. So I look at this and I say, trade back as much as possible. The teams who are trying to move up in the draft are teams that are trying to get that one extra piece, that one vitalizing moment, that one key marquee player that's going to enhance every single skill set on this roster. And for Detroit, you have so many needs at every single position, including, I would say, the quarterback position, that moving back and getting an extra first or even getting a second and a third round pick in this year's draft 
really helps you build those bones in the right structure for a guy like Dan Campbell, who I actually did not mind the hire. I, I get why people are very much against Dan Campbell because of it's fun to say we're going to bite your ankles off. But at the same time, you kind of want a player like that in that locker room. You kind of want someone like that who's going to be that intense and force you to kind of play and understand that this is the type of mentality that you want. And, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people in Detroit and they actually very much think that Campbell is doing the right thing and they love Brad Holmes and Brad Holmes is a smart GM. He's a smart executive who I think can make a lot of good moves. But I think if you are the, you know, Lions, you have to look at your big board and see what's available. You know, if, if I'm them, I trade down. I immediately trade down. I think that they need help on defense. A guy like Micah Parsons makes a ton of sense for them. It doesn't at seven. It does at nine. It does at 12. It does at, th- it does at 15, but it doesn't make sense at seven. So you can move down and get a couple more picks that way. But if he's there, I mean, if, if Jamar chases your number one wide receiver, like a lot of people's, you got to make sure that you at least give Jared Goff a chance to be successful. I mean, cause you're not going to get out of that contract at least through 2021 and even though you're still going to be paying a lot of dead cap space in 2022, so you might as well see what you have in Jared Goff. So at that point, it really is based off of what is best player available, what does your draft board say, and I do believe this more than anything else. Teams that follow the draft board mechanisms are the ones that are the most successful when it comes time to making the pick. So if their number one guy on the draft board is, of course, Micah Parsons moved down. If it's not, go get Jamar Chase and at least see what you got with Jared Goff. Oh, I completely agree. And I've asked this question uh, before on this podcast in recent weeks. You look at what the Browns did uh, in the Sashi Brown era. And uh, Andrew Barry is bringing at least some of that uh, analytics uh, approach back. And now you got the Dolphins have, having their Astro Ball approach, turning that Larrabee Tudsil trade into like uh, several first-round picks, and uh, they might not even be done yet, as uh, Ian Rappaport reported today. And uh, so I definitely think it would be wise if the Lions join in on the fun. Do you think uh, the way um, uh, roster building in the NFL is changing is being heavily influenced by the Browns and Dolphins? I think it could. I don't think that it's entirely that same way, but I do think it's based off of you know, what is your status moving forward? Where do you find yourself ranking? I think the tanking, or, or not even not even really tanking, but personally understanding that we are bad and trying to gain as many picks as possible and compensation picks and uh, picks for, you know, top five picks in, in each round to make sure that we're near the top of the level to have our selection of best player available is a lot more plausible than I would say the rankings of, uh, you know, trying to tank, I mean, uh, trying to just scrap the roster entirely for pieces. Because you just got to remember that a lot of these pieces that are on the roster for uh, Detroit, you still haven't gotten rid of. I mean, Trey Flowers still is costing you nearly $18 million a season. You still have, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff Okuda, who you're hoping is going to be a breakout player, who was a Bob Quinn and a uh, a Matt Patricia guy. He's maybe isn't a Dan Campbell guy. He maybe isn't an Aaron Glenn guy who's their new defense coordinator. So you got to find ways to keep the pieces that you have there. But I do think this tanking mechanism is a little bit more of something that I think is actually becoming more prominent in the NFL, mainly just because I think overall, when you look at how these rosters are done, they understand that the bare minimum of winning games still sets you in line for a top-level pick. And if you get that top-level pick, you also could either move back, gain more, or stay put and draft the best player available each round to help your roster improve year in and year out. 
It's going to be fascinating to see what the Lions do with that seventh overall pick in less than 10 days. And on to the Vikings, where this is a make-or-break year for Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. And when you look at the Vikings, they have an offensive line and a defense, both in urgent need of upgrades. Which of those two areas should they prioritize with the 14th overall pick? You know, I, I think it's really going to be based off of where, what player falls to you. Now, I mean, multiple people know this, multiple people have reported this, that the defensive tackle position in general is the weakest we have seen in years to come. I mean, it, it's Christian Barmer out of Alabama, which is like the one consensus defensive lineman that makes a ton of sense for a team like Minnesota. If you're going to go edge, everyone has their different opinion of who is the top edge player. I've heard someone say Gregory Russo is the top guy who opted out. I've heard Jalen Phillips. I've heard Quiddy Pay. I've heard, um, you know, Aziz Ojolari. And at the same time, what is your real need? Is it left tackle? And if it's left tackle, who's the left tackle? Is If Rashawn Slater falls, I feel like that's an awesome value pick for you to be able to go get. If it's Elijah Vera Tucker, well, one, you have to be very certain that he's going to be the number one guy. He's going to be a guy who can play the left tackle role or even the right tackle role. And to me personally, I view him more of a David DeCastro type player, a Brandon Sheriff type player coming out of college where he maybe can play tackle, but he's definitely going to be an all pro guard. Your guard position is a little weak, but you don't need an all pro guard at 14, especially in a deep tackle class. So I think it's really going to be based off of how their big board is built. I also wouldn't really rule out corner entirely just because of the Jeff Gladney situation. We know that he is, you know, turned himself into police because of an assault charge. We know that uh, with the battery charge that's along with it, he could be spending up to multiple years in prison if found guilty. And if that's the case, of course, they're going to release him. And while they did go out and they got Patrick Peterson, you still are going to want to have a younger guy to pair with Cameron Dancer as your one-two combination on the outside. So I look at this and I go, okay, if a guy like Patrick Sertan were to fall to number 14, he's got to be in play because that's his best player available mantra. But based off a of big board and what falls, it really does matter for Minnesota because they're in a really difficult situation. And honestly, if their best player is, say, the 25th ranked player on most players' big boards, why not trade back, get a few more picks if, say, a Mac Jones who isn't drafted at number three falls out of the top 10 for one of these teams like the Chicago Bears or potentially the Washington football team to move up to number 14, and then you go get your guy. There's going to be a lot of edge rushers still available. I think Christian Barmer will 100% be available, and there's going to be some offensive tackles like Tevin Jenkins, I believe Sam Cosme, all will be in line for a big-time year and actually more of a value pick at 19-20 than they would at 14. Oh, that is an excellent, excellent point, Cole, because a trading back is in Rick Spielman's DNA, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he did that if the board at 14 looked uh, jumbled, so to speak. And uh, based on what you said about corners still having to be on the table for the Vikings, it brings me to a more general point about this strategy in particular. This morning, a Hall of Fame executive, Gil Brandt, uh, was interviewed by Peter King for his uh, Football Morning in America column. And uh, he said that this draft is the most unusual draft he's ever witnessed in his entire career of observing the NFL draft, whether as a scout or an executive or just a casual member of the media. And uh, one of the reasons why is because with, with COVID, teams aren't able to make visits. Uh, they can't run extensive background checks on these prospects and all these players that have opted out and haven't played football in, in a year, if not more. Uh, it, it adds just a, a, such a layer of uncertainty that could that layer of uncertainty cause a, a seller's market at the point of the draft where the Vikings are, if not a couple picks earlier? 
You know, I could see it, definitely. It all is just based off, I think, big board. You know, I, I also see that there's a chance where there's a ton of talent that could continue to fall down draft boards that people are trying to figure out what to do with them because of they weren't able to get in the meetings. They weren't able to get into these interviews. They weren't able to spend more time with them. So you have to consider all these other options, especially for teams like a Minnesota Vikings, who potentially is a playoff team. They just hit their stride at the wrong moment last season, and they were only a few games away from being in that line. So you could still land a couple players and a couple picks to really set yourself up for a very good season in the NFC North, depending on how you know, you play this draft. It's really just a mind-guessing game. There's a lot of guys who you don't know about the measurables because if you're really just going based off of production numbers and not really that many meetings. There's a lot of guys who are just going off pro day numbers and you have to go off film from 2019. So it's a risk no matter how you look at it. I mean, I look at a guy like Jason Oway from Penn State and the two numbers that stick out to me the most are zero and 4.38 because of that was the 40 time he ran. And the number of sacks he had his entire career while a member of the Nittany Lions. So it's really, which are we getting? Supply versus demand. It really is just to me, you got to play your big board really strong this year. Your big board has to be completely layered left to right, up and down, backwards and forwards. No T's crossed. Uh, no I's left undotted. It has to just be perfectively set or else you have to be willing to possibly move back to where it is perfectly set because of if you overdraft a player just because of what you saw on a film session is great. If you overdraft a player just because of a pro day number where every number was also askew, like let, let's get that straight. Every single person hits a stopwatch at a certain time. So some people may have it hit right at 4.38. Another person may have it hit at 4.44. You know, those are all things that we don't know. You have to make sure that your big board matches the value of the player. And if not, I 100% recommend trading out. And we could indeed see several teams follow Cole's advice to trade down come April 29th. And if you think that Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer are facing such a make-or-break season, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are yelling, hold my beer in Chicago. Personally, I think both of them should have already been fired. Yet they remain, and there is some buzz that the Bears are eyeing a move up the board, and big moves up the board have been a staple of Ryan Pace's tenure as Bears GM. And it may not only be a quarterback that they're targeting in such a trade-up. Uh, according to um, uh, some people I've spoken to, they may also be eyeing a tackle. If, say, Panay Sewell and or Rashawn Slater fall to eight or nine, and neither the Panthers nor Broncos are able to move up for the last of the uh, big four quarterbacks, would it be wise for the Bears to trade all the way up to get one of the top two tackles? That situation, it might not be far-fetched given uh, Ryan Pace's history and given that the Panthers and Broncos are reportedly highly considering moving down in such a situation. Yeah, but it's also trade value. I mean, there's a complete difference of what you give up for a certain player. You can give up three first-round picks for a quarterback, and I don't think anyone's going to you know, judge you for it. I think a guy who was proven, like uh, like Khalil Mack, when they made that trade and they gave him the six-year extension for those two first-round picks and the second-round pick, that's kind of worth it because of you know that that's a proven player that's going to make your defense better. And what has he done since coming to Chicago? Make that defense better. But a tackle that's so unproven and we don't know. And by the way, let's keep in mind, both of these tackles did not play in 2020. Oh, yeah. They both opted out. So we're just going based off a of film from 2019 and numbers from pro days. Is that enough to say, oh, it's worth taking, you know, three first round picks and our third round pick in 2022 for a guy who maybe perhaps is an all pro talent? I, I mean, the value of the pick 
does matter to move up, but it's also what pick you make with that value. Nobody is going to say to San Francisco, oh, Mac Jones is a terrible pick because you gave up three first-round picks for him, when instead, I 100% people to go, oh, Kyle Pitts, a tight end, is a terrible pick to give up three first-round picks for him because it's just not, it doesn't make sense. A quarterback is worth a multiple set of picks. And for Chicago, they need a quarterback. I mean, it's very much a given that they need a quarterback. And to move up into the top 10, you have to go for a quarterback. For a tackle, I mean, if, if they were to fall to 14 or 15 or or, th- or even 16 where Arizona sits, I could see that. And you give up a, a first-round pick in the, in the future because if at that point, there is value. There's a lot of value there. But... To move into the top 10 for a player who hasn't played in over a year, you're going off a film that's almost two years old, and you're also just betting on their upside, that's a lot of picks for someone who may or may not hit. And the quarterback position, at least, you're given at least a second chance to get the quarterback position right. You're never going to get a second chance if you get the tackle position wrong. That is another very good point, Cole, and uh, another uh, reason why the Bears should be very careful in considering such a move up the board is that uh, I've spoken to several people on this podcast in recent weeks, and one of them, my good friend Nick Kendall, said, when you look at this class, there's like uh, eight players, the the top four quarterbacks, and let's say uh, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, uh, Panay Sewell, and maybe uh, Rashad Slater or Jalen Waddle, but after that, it's kind of like a pretty identical value from, like, say, like 8, 9, or 10 all the way to the end of the first round, if not later. Uh, do you see the draft of the same way? So I actually just finished my top 100 big board, and uh, I'll, just share, I'll just share my top 10 for you right now just to give you that. It's Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase comes in at number 3, Penny Sewell number 4. I actually have Devonta Smith at number 5. I like his upside a little bit more if we can get a little bit high, more weight on him. Trey Lance comes in at number six. Justin Fields at number seven. Jalen Waddle at number eight. J.C. Horn actually beats out for my number one cornerback. And Jeremiah Wusukoromora from Notre Dame comes in at number 10. Of those 10, I actually believe after Waddle, so one through eight, those would be my eight players that are worthy of trading up for. I don't think that you can for a guy like Horn. As much as I like Horn, I don't think you can for Wusukoromora. Even Sertan, Micah Parsons, Greg Newsom, someone I am very high on. I think that he's actually the third best corner. And I actually went back and did some film study. There was an argument for me to put him at my second best cornerback. That's how much I like him. But you don't move up that high for those type of players where you have to give up multiple picks in the future. You move up for a fourth round pick to go along with your first round pick. You move up for, you know, two spots to go get these guys. The other guys you can go give up at least, I would say, a mid round pick and people won't get mad. But after that level of your guys, those like eight, eight factor guys, the value is you're going to find a player with at least somewhat upside and maybe a bit more potential than what you would at, say, 12 if you're picking at 20. And the same thing can be said, you could find a guy who maybe people say is a reach at 20, but actually still has value if you, say, took him at 24. It's just a lot of based off big boards. And, and to my big board, I really only see really the quarterbacks, Sewell, Chase, and Devonta Smith moving up for. And if Waddle is completely healthy, I think you can have a shot. Besides that, yeah, I, I, I mean, there's going to be value at the position no matter who you're drafting. You just may be a little bit over-drafting a player. And by a little, I'm talking like maybe three or four picks worth of an overdraft. 
And last but not least, on to the reigning uh, NFC North champion, Green Bay Packers. And last season, they made it to the doorstep of the Super Bowl, but no thanks whatsoever to their 2020 draft haul. And in order for the Packers to get over the hump in 2021 and actually make it to the Super Bowl and give Aaron Rodgers another legitimate crack at a second ring, should they draft more immediate impact players and long-term projects? And if so, at what positions could they use an instant boost? You know, I, I still think a number two receiver is going to be a big deal for them. I, it's not that I don't think that they don't have talent at the receiver position. I very much liked what I saw from Marquez Valdez-Scanling. He had the big game in the NFC Championship against um, against Tampa Bay. I think that Alan Lazard has done a pretty good job as a number three. But I really think that you need to go make one of them the number three and the other the number four. Find yourself a stable receiver that can probably play inside a little bit more. Take some pressure off Robert Tunyon, who's done a really good job in the flats area and as a red zone target. The last time the Steelers, uh, I mean, the Packers had two 1,000-yard receivers on their team, I believe was 2016. And before that was 2014 with Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb. They've been missing kind of that speed element factor in the slot since Randall Cobb started slowly regressing and then eventually going to Dallas and then eventually going to Houston. So I think that's definitely a big need. I think the other two needs that you could really go after is a good tackle. They need somebody just as insurance because of David Bakhtiati. I mean, you give him that five-year massive extension and then immediately right after he tears his ACL. So that's a little bit of a worrisome. You can always upgrade on the right side. Ricky Wagner, you know, he had an okay year. So you don't know really what you got with him moving forward. Uh, and, and then, uh, again, I think that you have to look at the cornerback position. You know, corner is such a big need, and they have Jair Alexander, who they're about to pay, but you didn't want to go out and spend money on any of these big-time cornerbacks, so you settled to on a one-year deal with Kevin King. Okay, if Kevin King works next year, he's going to want top-dollar money. Are you willing to give him top-dollar money? And if you're not, well, there you go. You got to move off of him, and you got to go have a guy waiting in the wings. So... I would say a true good zone cover corner would make a lot of sense for them. I think a right tackle for sure, or at least a, a, a swing tackle for next year. But a number two receiver, I think, has got to be at least in the conversation if not picking that at that early. Oh, and a linebacker. I, I mean, you can always use a linebacker. They, they've, they've struggled at linebacker well before Blake Martinez left. Well, when Blake Martinez was there, he just was a really good tackler in open field. He is Cole Thompson, ladies and gentlemen, of fansided.com and SI Texans. Uh, what is that uh, SI Texans website called again, Cole? Texans Daily. I also do uh, Washington SI, Dallas Cowboy Fan Nation, and a couple of other sites. Yeah, like I said, the man of many football hats, Cole Thompson. You can follow him on Twitter at MR Cole Thompson. And now it's our favorite part of the program. It's time to do three round mocks for all four NFC North teams, starting with the Detroit Lions. And uh, we cannot trade any of these picks in this exercise. And just look at who's still left at seven in this mock, thanks to our friends at the Draft Network Mock Draft Machine. You got Justin Fields and Trey Lance staring you at the face at seven. And if the Lions are to go quarterback at seven and Lance and Fields are staring at them, they won't be on April 29th, square alert. Um, one of them will be gone by three, uh, just to let you know. But uh, this is an exercise, so we're going to stick to the exercise. Uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance staring the Lions in the face at pick seven. Who do you take? Do I have to take a quarterback or can I go with my own option? You can go with your own option if you want to. Jamar Chase is still left. You know what? I, it's a deep wide receiver class. They're going to do this on draft night. They're going to do it at seven. They're going to do it at 15. 
It is a defensive-minded guy. It is a good defensive class. I'm going to shock the world. I'm going to go Micah Parsons here. I think Micah Parsons, what you bring to this level of defense, is a guy who is a three-down thumper, but he's so much more than that. He's exactly what I think Kyle Van Noy was supposed to be when drafted by Jim Schwartz out of BYU a few years ago. This is a great edge player. This is a guy who can get a lot of pressure on quarterbacks. He plays pretty well in zone coverage. He can be a leader of the defense. The only thing that is stopping him from being a solidified top 10 pick is the fact that he has that hazing incident against him, and also he opted out for the 2020 season. But this is a very loaded wide receiver class. I can find talent at the wide receiver role a little bit later down the line. I can find offensive tackle talent a little bit later down the line. I can find cornerback talent a little bit down the line. I don't know if I can find a linebacker of this level, and I do think that this is going to be the pick, whether it be at 7, whether they trade back to, say, 12 or 11, whether they trade back to, say, 14. I I just have a feeling Micah Parsons screams Detroit Lions, so I'm just going to go with my gut, and I'm going to say it's Micah Parsons. Yeah, Micah Parsons, uh, that's the player the buzz uh, has the Lions linked the most to, uh, for what it's worth. And uh, for this exercise, we pick Micah Parsons 7, although uh, the Lions uh, are more likely to select him in a trade down, whether it be to 9, to 15, or to 19, so to speak. And now we're back on the clock again at 41. And uh, in terms of wide receivers, you got Kadarius Toney still on the board and Rondale Moore still on the board. Uh, for tackles, you got Dylan Radins. Still on the board, and uh, 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 well, corners you got Asante Samuel Jr. still still available, uh, at, but wide receivers you also got Amari Rogers out of Clemson, uh, or Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky is uh, the best corner that remains on the board here, and Christian Barmore is still available. He could be great value here. Yeah, and you know what? I'm glad that you actually said that. I was waiting. To, I was about to ask you: Is is Christian Barmore still available? And if that's the case. I 100% am going Christian Barmore. I think that you really need to solidify this defense as much as possible. And the one thing you have to love about what Aaron Glenn learned in that system under Dennis Allen in New Orleans with Dan Campbell is you need pass rushers and guys who are bullies up the middle as much as possible. So think about this for a second. You have a running lane that's going to be opened by a thumper and Micah Parsons by a bull rushing guy who's done a great job playing both a four tech, a five tech, a nose tackle in Alabama and this is easily the best defensive tackle in the class far and away who can play a multitude of positions be very effective against the run but does a great job as a bull rusher matching one-on-one matchups I think if you really want to solidify this defense go ahead and just continue to build this defensive line again this is a really 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 deep offensive class and this is a very very deep wide receiver class so I know I can get another receiver a little bit down the line Let's go Christian Barmore, let him open up the running lane for Micah Parsons, and that will hopefully also improve the secondary with older guys as Quinton Dunbar with a Jeff Akuda and whoever I'm going to go ahead and draft at safety later on. So with uh, Micah Parsons and Christian Barmore, we have got the Lions two kneecap busters, so to speak, in this month. They are biting some kneecaps, I'm going to tell you that much. <laughs> Yes, and now we're back on the clock again with the first of two third-round choices the Lions have at 72 overall. And uh, uh, Jalen Mayfield is still on the board. If you think he's an offensive tackle, uh, he would be a good pick here, but most people see him as a guard, at least the people I speak to. But at wide receiver, you got Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan and Amon Ross St. Brown out of USC and Tyler Wallace out of Oklahoma State still available. 
And if you want a corner, you got Ifeatu Melifonwu from Syracuse, Tyson Campbell from Georgia still on the board. Man, that, that, see, and that, that, I'm in a very good spot. I really am. Uh, I, I really look at this and I go, okay, they could definitely go for a cornerback right here and they could continue to build that defense. They could definitely go ahead and get an offensive tackle. But I do think you have to remember there is always that hometown feel that does matter to some of these teams. And when you look at it this way, this is a pretty good spot for a diamond in the rough player. I'm going to go with Dwayne Eskridge. I think this is a guy who is not a perfect route runner, but what he does do really well at is stretch the field. He's very speedy. He's got a good overall knowledge of speed and winning at the line of scrimmage against cornerbacks. I think the biggest thing of all for him is he's got to get better as a route runner, but he's done a very good job scoring deep. He scored three touchdowns over 70 plus receptions, and he's a former high school sprinter and long jumper. So, you know, the speed and agility are there in his last season alone. He averaged 21.8 yards per catch. Give Jared Goff a vertical option downfield. We've got to have to get him at some point a big prime perimeter receiver to go along with him. But overall, you want to get a guy who you can teach how to run routes. The one thing I love about what Dan Campbell did was he brought in a great wide receivers coach. I'm blanking on his name right now, but he has been around the league for years and years and years. And many people view him as a potential future head coach, very similar to what David Culley did for the Houston Texans. Go ahead and get Dwayne Eskridge. Make him your vertical option. Give some pressure to these defenses to try and get your deep guy downfield. And in addition to Dwayne Eskridge's track background, I believe he was named Mr. Track and Field in the state of Indiana in his junior and senior year of high school. So that just shows you how talented of a track athlete he was in high school. And the explosion he brings to the football field could really benefit the Lions uh, in Detroit. And now we conclude this three-round mile for the Lions with the 101st overall pick. And uh, let's see who we have here. Uh, uh, we don't need any running backs. Uh, uh, we don't need any interior defensive linemen uh, or, or linebackers. Uh. Can we get a receiver again? I just want to see who's on the board at this point because I wouldn't be shocked if you go back-to-back receivers with what they lost. Uh, let's see. Frank Darby from Arizona State, I believe, is the best wide receiver on this board. Yes, he is. But he also got Seth Williams from Auburn, Des Fitzpatrick from Louisville, or Kay Johnson from South Dakota State. Uh, Dave Brugler has a late third, early fourth uh, round grade on Kay Johnson. The only problem with Kate is I think that he could be limited inside, and Eskridge is definitely going to be a guy who I think is limited inside at five foot nine. So um, let's go to tackle. What we got? Uh, for tackle, we've got Deontay Smith out of East Carolina or Robert Hainsey out of Notre Dame or Walker Little from Stanford. I think either one of those three makes sense here. You know, I, I know I've done him before, but I'm going to go Walker Little here. I think Walker Little is the guy who's the project that a lot of people are forgetting about. But this is a guy who at one point was considered the number one offensive tackle in the nation coming out of Texas. And a lot of people thought that he was going to be a number one overall pick because of what he could bring. But the problem was that he tore his ACL and then opted out before the start of the 2020 season. So this is a very bold pick, but it's also one that I think has a lot of value if you can get an offensive line coach in there who knows how to teach someone. He can play left tackle. He can play right tackle. He did a very good job in his one lone season as a full-time starter for the Cardinals uh, playing as a pass protector, but he also did a very good job as an overall run blocker. The biggest thing of all when you look at Detroit's offensive line is they know that they're going to be in trouble this year, but they also know that they have a couple pieces 
that probably could be pretty decent. The offensive line as a whole is not as big as a problem. You know, Halope, uh, you know, Halope Vitae was the guy who they tried to sign and they figured him out. And you still have Taylor Decker on the left side and he signed a five-year extension. So I think that with Vitae's deal, you're going to be able to get out of it next season. You won't be able to get out of it this season. So what you could do is you could then move Tyrell Crosby in and allow a guy such as Little take over and play the right tackle role in 2022. And now on to the Minnesota Vikings, and we are on the clock at pick 14. They've got some intriguing choices here. you got Devontae Smith still on the board here, but uh, given that they already have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, I think they could let this slide. Micah Parsons is still on the board, but uh, we already gave him to the Lions. Uh, we can't give him to the Vikings because of the rules of this exercise. And uh, Matt Jones is still on the board, but I do not think the Vikings are going to go quarterback here. But the best uh, option on the board that fits their needs is Elijah Vera Tucker, who's still on the board. Yeah, and you know what? That's the way I'm going to lean right now. I, I feel like if they are going to get help, they're going to get help on the interior of the offensive line. They needed to add a little bit more pressure uh, to take away pressure from a guy such as Kirk Cousins. He actually has not been the worst quarterback. He's just never been able to take it to the next level. And when you look at their guard position right now, Ezra Cleveland, you're hoping that he can take that next step in year two as a full-time starter. And then you have Dakota Dozier. I don't really know what you can have with him. At the same time, can you try him at least at left tackle and see if he works out? Absolutely. And they definitely have a big hole with Rashad Hill being their starting left tackle right now because Brian O'Neill is going to stay on the right-handed side. This was a guy who did a very good job uh, blocking for Keldon Slovis last year. He's done a very good job being another one of these standout offensive linemen. And the biggest thing of all, he's versatile. He's played a lot of different positions on the line. He's played right guard. He's played left guard. He's played right tackle. He's played left tackle. So he can be a plug-and-play type player to where eventually you just find his niche at the next level. He can help you in the running game. Guess what? They have that game with uh, Dalvin Cook. He can help you as an overall pass protector. I think his run protection is a little bit better than his pass protection. But I do think that he adds tremendous value here. And at this point, if you're going to go ahead and stick it out with Kirk Cousins, get him as much protection as possible. Let him be able to make that throw to Justin Jefferson, to, to Adam Thielen, to Irv Smith. Go ahead and get some protection no matter where you play him. Elijah Tucker makes a lot of sense. Uh, he most certainly does. And uh, you actually were um, hyping on uh, his uh, pass protection skills when we did our uh, NFC East uh, special. And uh, we give it a quarterback like uh, Kirk Cousins, who isn't necessarily the most fleet of foot quarterback. Uh, having some uh, interior protection for him is absolutely crucial. And the Vikings absolutely cannot go wrong with uh, Elijah Vera Tucker as their first round pick if it comes to that. And we are on the clock again. The Vikings do not pick again until 78 overall in round three. And that's another reason to believe that the Vikings could be eyeing a move down the board uh, from 14 to potentially add a second rounder or uh, another third, so to speak. But uh, no trades allowed in these mocks. Uh, just a reference point. And you look at the Vikings. Uh, yes, they did side Dalvin Tomlinson, but they still need more girth up front on that interior defensive line. And Milton Williams, a guy who... who has uh, a lot of draft Twitter enamored is still on the board from uh, Louisiana Tech here. Uh, you got Ifeata Melifonwu from Syracuse at corner. Um, or Tyson Campbell out of Georgia. Uh, Janarius Robinson or Quincy Roach. Uh, two edge rushers. Robinson from Florida State. Quincy Roach from Miami. Uh, David Diablo, a safety from Virginia Tech. Paul Sidadebo, corner from, from Stanford. There's, if you want to go tackle, you got Stone Forsyth out of Florida as your best tackle on the board. 
or if you want, also want to go safety, Hamza Nasruddin of Florida State is is still here. Nah, all, all those are a little bit of reaches. There, just out of curiosity, is Peyton Turner still on the board? Peyton Turner. I do not think Peyton Turner is still on the board at all. Nah, man, because that, that 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 just seems like a very good uh, Mike Zimmer kind of guy. Um, who who is my best available edge defender right now? Your best available edge defender is Janarius Robinson. Who's after him? There was a name right after him. Quincy Roche. Yeah, okay. At this point, I, I'll go Quincy Roche. I think that I think that there's some value there for him. I think that overall, he was a guy that kind of got lost in the pathway because of, again, he was a one-year kind of wonder for Miami. He really didn't do that much. You know, when you think about his overall production, only 4.5 sacks. But you got to also keep in mind, he was a transfer player because he started his career out of Temple for the first three years, and he actually did a very good job in his final year at Temple where he, I think, led the AAC in sacks with 13. And the year before that, I think he had seven and six with the multiple forced fumbles, multiple, uh, 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 not not quarterback sacks, but quarterback pressures. So I think he actually is one of these players who has a ton of upside. You just don't know what that entire upside is. What I think is that he fits better in a 4-3 system, very much what you're kind of considering with a, uh, with a Mike Zimmer base. Loads of production, 39.5 tackles for losses during his time at Temple. Uh, does a pretty good job at assessing the outside leverage. He can work inside pretty well. I think the biggest thing of all is he plays too high, and you have to get him to play a little bit lower. But another guy who I thought played a little bit too high coming out of college was Daniil Hunter. And look at what he's done in that defense. He's made a name for himself as one of the most versatile overall strong pass rushers in the game. So I think that if you can get him working in Mike Zimmer's system, you have a very good shot to find your Yannick Ngakwe replacement, even though you had a trade to go get Yannick Ngakwe. This is the type of production you can get in probably 2022 or 2023 from someone hopefully pairing alongside instead of replacing Daniel Hunter. And we are now on the final pick of this three-round mock for the Vikings at 90 overall. And uh, Kellen Mond is still on the board, but I don't think uh, you waste this pick on a developmental quarterback here. Uh, the four best non-quarterbacks on the board are Devin Diablo from Virginia Tech, Paulson Adebo, or forgive me, I'm butchering that name, uh, corner from Stanford, Stowe Forsyth, offensive tackle Florida, Hamza Nostrilde, the safety from Florida State, or if you want uh, some uh, local pride, Benjamin St. Juiced, uh, corner from Minnesota. Now, um, is Andre Sisco still available? Andre Sisco? Uh, let's see. I do not think he is. Oh, he actually is. Andre Sisco out of Syracuse, and a lot of it, the people love him. It's a lot of boom or bust with this guy. I honestly think that he is one of these players who is ultimately makes that boom or bust name possible. But here's what I like about him. Every single time you see him play, he's playing and he's making a play. It may be that he's allowing a big-time play, but he's making a play. He's always around the football and you need somebody like that. This is a guy who is, I wouldn't say a straight-up ball hawk, but he can play extremely well in coverage. I think he has 15 interceptions or 13 interceptions in, what is it, uh, in like 22 games or something like that. So he's he's a multi-tool player who has good size, good frame, great hands, and good read and react ability when playing deep. He also is not afraid to play the run. The biggest problem is you don't want to play him in a cover one system. You want to play him in more of a base cover two or cover four where he's taking one half of the field. You have your other state taking the other half of the field. If you play him in a cover three, I think he could work as long as you still have Harrison Smith kind of helping out. The loss of Anthony Harris was big, but I think the biggest thing of all is that you have 
your uh, your big time replacement with Xavier Woods to where you can run kind of a three safety formation. Go ahead and let Andre Cisco, a just straight up playmaker, make a lot of plays. It's a big risk, but it's also a risk I think worth taking because of how much potential he has and what you've seen from what Mike Zimmer does with defensive players, especially defensive backs, what he did in Cincinnati and what he's done in Minnesota. Why not take a risk? There's a lot of upside with Andre Cisco. Let's make him the pick. Yes, and those upside picks start to come off the board at this juncture of the draft. So, Andre Sisco concludes our three-round mock for the Minnesota Vikings. And now the Chicago Bears in their three-round mock. The Bears picking in rounds one, two, and three for the first time since uh, 2000 uh, and, uh, and 16. Probably 18, isn't it? Yeah, 2016, actually, because uh, uh, because of the Trubisky trade in 2017, they didn't pick in the second round. Uh, oh, no, they, right. no, no, they did pick in the third round that year, and uh, they uh, traded uh, their third round pick to get Anthony Miller in 2018, and obviously no first in 2019 and 2020, but now they finally have a pick in rounds one, two, and three in quite a long time, and now we're on the clock again at 20, and look who stared the Bears right in the face. Michael McCorkle Jones is on the board for the Bears at 20. And we can uh, just stop. Like, we don't have to go any further. If he falls that far, you didn't have to trade up to go get him. You didn't have to go ahead and make a lot of big moves to go get him. And you need a quarterback. You need a quarterback. It's not that hard. You need a quarterback. McCorkle Jones, I may not like him as much as other people do. I may think that even though he's the biggest question mark, he is still a first-round quarterback. You can't say, based off of what you saw in 2020, it was all him, especially if you saw his tape from the uh, from the Senior Bowl down in Mobile. He did show that he could work with a lot of different quarterbacks. The biggest thing is, he's a Daniel Jones-type player. I mean, there's a lot to like, a lot to hate, but you need a quarterback in the future. And the one thing that I will say is, his accuracy is on point. He's very good at... at delivering a very beautiful catchable ball and I think he's done a very good job improving at with his not only his accuracy but with his footwork and he's done a you know he he was great protection I think that that even though Chicago needs an offensive tackle in this draft class this is a very deep draft class to go get a tackle and you know that Allen Robinson is going to play next year because he signed his franchise tag so at least you have one good weapon you're going to have a reliable tight end and Cole Komet I think that if you can get here at number 20, not have to give up anything, and knowing what you have, you know, still on your draft board, you got to take Mac Jones. I, I don't, I'm not saying I love it, but I'm saying you have to if you're Ryan Pace. You, I, you just, you have to do it. Yes, uh, uh, Mac Jones at 20 overall, I think that's a more than fair price to pay for Mac Jones. Uh, yeah, he may be uh, Andy Dalton 2.0 uh, at best, a uh, carbon copy of the in-house quarterback he got. But uh, you have to have some long-term stability at the position. And Mac Jones, I think the best case scenario, he could provide you that long-term stability for four, five, six years, maybe seven years. And uh, and given uh, the question mark at that position, and having a quarterback on a rookie contract is a key weapon to have in today's NFL in terms of roster building. So that's a no-brainer for the Bears at 20. And now... On the clock again, 52, you got McCorkle Jones. And uh, now uh, you, uh, you keep, keep in mind, you, uh, you uh, released Kyle Fuller, so corner is a pretty big deal. You got Kelvin Joseph uh, still on the board here, uh, along with Asante Samuel Jr. or Aaron Robinson. But uh, with uh, Alan Robinson's uh, future uh, past uh, 2021, very uncertain in Chicago, you, 
need a, another wide receiver option to add to that room. Don't forget you have Darnell Mooney too, but uh, Darnell Mooney is more of a speed guy. He's not meant necessarily to be your top target at a passing game, so to speak. Deami Brown of North Carolina, very intriguing prospect, still available here as well. And uh, the but, only but thing it, with Deami Brown that I don't like is that he's very similar to what Darnell Mooney is. I like Darnell Mooney a lot. I also very much love Deami Brown. He's actually a top 50 player on my big board, but. If you're going to go with that vertical presence on the outside, you already have a vertical presence on the outside. Is Rondell Moore still available, or did he fall off already? Uh, He's gone. Okay. Um, Who else do you have after uh, uh, Deami Brown? Uh, In terms of wide receivers? Yeah, in terms of wide receivers. Nico Collins uh, or Armand Ross St. Brown or Tylen Wallace? At that point, I'm going to go lean cornerback. The question is, which one do I like a little bit more? If I'm going to go based off just my big board i would have to say at this moment right now i'm gonna go with asante samuel jr i think that when you look at what his dad did for new england he has some very similar skill set to that i do wonder if he's limited to only inside but since coming out of high school he has been a very solid player he played in only three games his freshman year but he really started stepping up his sophomore year he led the conference with 14 pass breakups to go along with an interception Playing in eight games last season, he led the team in interceptions and pass breakups. Um, He did, unfortunately, have to miss the end of the season, so you're wondering about that. But he's overall a very well-built guy. Amazing footwork, good balance, good change of directions. He can be physical in coverage, and he can do a very good job of treating the ball like he's the receiver and that he's actually playing the wide receiver as he's the cornerback to where he makes the play, he jumps in front of them. And he's actually a very good tackler when playing in coverage. I'm not sure how well he is against the run, but when you watch him play in coverage, it's not a lot of I'm going to get get yardage after the catch again and be brought down. It's a lot of I'm bringing you down as soon as I hit you. So I would say Asante Samuel, pair him up with Jalen Johnson, a guy I was very high on. I actually gave him a first-round grade last year, and there was moments he showed why he could be the Bears' new number one cornerback. Get him a running mate. Get him a cheap running mate, one that you can keep for three years on a rookie deal. These are two guys who I definitely think that add to an already very talented Bears defense that can really keep this team, I think, elevated with a young quarterback like Mac Jones. And we are back on the clock with the Bears' final pick of this three-round mock at 83 overall. And uh, the cupboard is pretty bare at wide receiver. Tylen Wallace is the best wide receiver still on the board. And uh, uh, he's more of a speed guy, kind of like Darnell Mooney as well, at least in my view. So that might be a bit of a... What uh, about tackle? Uh, tackle, uh, we have a Stone Forsyth out of Florida as the best option on the board. And James Hudson from Cincinnati is still available, too. <sighs> okay, I, I got to think this one through for a minute. Forsyth is not a bad player. It's just I don't think that he's that good. But you need a starting left tackle, and, I, and you cannot play James Hudson year one. You just you, you cannot do it. I, I mean, anyone who plays him, you're asking for your quarterback to get hit. So... At that point, based off of just, you know, level of, you know, elimination, Stone Forsyth, I think, would have to be the pick here. This is a guy who I do, you know, when you look at overall, he has the intangible standing at six foot eight. He has very long arms. I think he's got 33 or 34 inch arm. Yeah, 34.758 inch arms, almost 11 inch hands. Uh, he's done a good job playing both the left and the right tackle spot, but he's also played a guard position as well. Uh, the biggest question is, is he going to be a full-time left tackle at the next level, or is he going to be a right tackle? Now, again, 
The good news is, is that what Chicago needs in 2021 is a right tackle, not a left tackle, because they still have Charles Leno on a deal, but they released Bobby Massey. So this is a guy who I think overall has the right weight for being 6'8". He's got a good punch. He's overall, I think, a stronger player when it comes to playing in the um, in the run game. But you do have two good running backs in David Montgomery. And I think a lot of people forget Tariq Cohen is that pinball kind of guy that just bounces off players and makes plays in the open field. If you can go ahead and get him to get a little bit better as a pass protector on first initial contact good and really play a little bit stronger with his footwork because his footwork's pretty great. It's his hand placement. Get his hand placement a little bit more in the right spot. I think that this could actually work out pretty well for him as a right tackle of the future. The question is, if Ryan Pace views him as a left tackle, I think that you have to at least try him at right tackle to get him adjusted to NFL speed over time. And now on to the Packers, and we're on the clock with the 29th overall pick. And look at the wide receiver options they have available. You got Rashad Bateman still on the board. You also have Elijah Moore from Ole Miss still on the board, and Kadarius Toney from Florida still on the board. And in terms of offensive tackle, Samuel Cosby from Texas is the best uh, offensive tackle option on the board. Also, Terrace Marshall Jr. of LSU still on the board, too. Lots of great wide receiver options that could come in and play right away, potentially. The crazy thing is if I am Green Bay and I see this on draft day, I am trading out of the first round. Like I 100% am trading out because of, here's the thing. I know I'm going to have a couple of these players here for a team that's probably picking in that 35 to 40 range trying to move back up. So based off process of elimination, I got to go wide receiver. I have to go wide receiver at this spot just because of I think that the wide receiver role is going to be so important for the development of, you know, Aaron Rodgers. And also, we have to at least consider Jordan Love. We have to consider that Jordan Love is supposed to be the future of the quarterback position, even though they still have Aaron Rodgers on the roster. So you got to give him a wide receiver. And at this point, you know, I, I, I've had this conversation in my head a lot, and I've thought about this long and hard, but I do think if I were to go wide receiver at this very moment, as much as I love Rashad Bateman, I love Rashad Bateman. I'm going to go Elijah Moore. I think what Elijah Moore brings is that speed presence, not just vertically, but also at the line of scrimmage on a zig or a zag that gets defenders missing immediately off that first punch and allows him to get open. This is a guy who's very good at running that sluggo route, that comeback route, that curl route, and then working back up the field. He does a very good job in space. And I think the biggest thing of all is people kind of forget how dangerous he was for Lane Kiffin's offense towards the end of the season. He averaged over 13 catches a game, his final three games, over 200 yards. And he also was very effective as a third down receiver. And he makes a lot of good plays in contested catches situations. Everyone kind of forgets how talented the SEC is because of Elijah Moore's a name that's kind of just thrown in there with Kadarius Toney and Jalen Waddell and Terrace Marshall and Jamar Chase. And, you know, we've even thrown wide receivers from last year like Justin Jefferson and Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy. I mean, it's just a loaded overall system. But I think Elijah Moore overall is exactly what Randall Cobb was for this offense. And you can use him a little bit better because I think he can be more than just your average slot receiver. I think you can use him in a multitude of ways. And the biggest reason I go with him over a guy like Kadarius Toney is I think Toney's very talented and has great speed. 
But if I'm looking for a straight up route running technician, which is exactly what I think Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers needs, 10 out of 10, Elijah Moore wins that battle. So I'm going to go with Elijah Moore. I agree with that pick. Elijah Moore's skill set is much more complimentary of uh, Devontae Adams than Rashad Bateman's is. That is the biggest thing, is that you have to compliment also Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scanling. Scanling can be your vertical threat. You can have your do-it-all guy with Moore, and you have your big guy in, in Devontae Adams and Robert Tunyon. So, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, said we are back on the clock with the Packers' second-round pick at 62 overall. The offensive tackle cupboard is uh, pretty bare. Uh, unless, like I said, do you think Jalen Mayfield's a tackle or a guard? Oh, he's a guard. He, yep. He's a guard. Yeah, so uh, like after Jalen Mayfield, you got uh, uh, at this moment. What about moment, corner? What? What about corner? corner we got uh aaron robinson from ucf still available and elijah molden from washington okay um what do you got defensive line uh d line we've uh uh you mean interior d line or edge or both no interior uh interior defensive line milton williams from louisiana tech is the best option on the board tommy togiai ohio state still here uh and uh, then uh, it's a pretty solid drop-off, at least according to the mock draft machine, all the way down to Marlon Tripolotu. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Um, okay, if I'm just going to go based off of what is here. Um, oh, uh, you mentioned linebacker Jabril Cox is still here. Oh, there we go. That's a done deal. Not, knock it in. Knock it in. My bad. Why, why was I not even thinking about <laughs> linebacker? Um, yeah, okay, so go get Jabril Cox. I actually think Cox is about a top 50 player in this class because of his versatility as a uh, a weak side linebacker in a 4-3 system. I think he plays a lot better in coverage than he does against the run, but he still is a very good run defender. What I like is that this is a 3-4 system to where you can play him as your cover main inside linebacker in a two-linebacker set. So his main focus is playing on guys in open space. They're allowing him to be a little bit more effective against tight ends, a little bit more effective against running backs out of the backfield. And then he can be that extra tackler when it comes to the line of scrimmage. And when you look at what they need, they have Ty Summers and Chris Barnes as their starting guys in the middle. So you got to go ahead and find yourself kind of a hybrid thumper versus also coverage guy. I still think they could find maybe their cover guy, and I'm going to actually bring this up in the next pick to see if I can go back-to-back linebackers and get some talent. But, yeah, if I can go ahead and get Jabril Cox, I definitely see the fit. I I mean, I actually would consider if at 30, if all the receivers are gone, Nick Bolton. I think Nick Bolton would be a really good pickup here at 30, but he's not going to be there. So at the next point, I would have to go to my next best linebacker for the system. Jabril Cox would make a lot of sense. And we are back at 92 overall, the final pick of this three-round mock for the Green Bay Packers and in these NFC North mocks altogether. And in terms of tackles, you got some projects still on the board in Deontay Smith and Robert Hainsey. We already gave the Lions Walker Little, so he's off the board of this exercise. Or uh, Brendan James from uh, Nebraska, but uh, their value, is, uh, they have like fifth-round value, so to speak. Uh, so uh, those are your uh, offensive uh, tackle options. And um, you got Tommy Togiai, uh, interior defensive line option here, and Marlon Tripolotu and Jay Tefele. Let's see. Um, uh, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see. Uh, corners, who do you got at linebacker. Corners. Uh, Benjamin St. Just is still. No, no, available. no, no. Who do you got at linebacker? Linebacker. Let's see who we got at linebacker. Is Pete Werner still available? Let's see. 
linebacker. No, Derek Barnes is the best linebacker left. Yeah, okay, hold on. Um, what do you got at, uh, let me see, you said Deontay Smith was the best tackle? Yes. Okay, I got to think this through for a second. So they need a linebacker. They still need a linebacker, that's for sure. Um, they still need a tackle. Uh, a, a tackle at the best tackle on the board is Deontay Smith. And uh, if uh, they need a corner, uh, Benjamin St. Juice is the best corner on the board. And for interior defensive line, Tommy Togiai. Man, that's all a lot tough. Um, you know, at this point, I would say, God, this is a really, really tough one. Um, I'm going to go crazy here. You know, if I'm going to go Jabril Cox as my cover guy, go get me a pass rushing guy. And I think that Derek Barnes would make the most sense at this spot. I think that you need to go ahead and get yourself two guys, one who can kind of play off of each other. And the one thing that you can say about Derek Barnes and what he did during his days at Purdue was he was someone who was not afraid to rush the pass. He was not afraid to go play the run. He was not afraid to be near the line of scrimmage. I mean, look at his total numbers of tackles for loss over his career. He had 11.5. He had 35 total, you know, tackles for losses with 226 total career tackles. And he also had 10.5 sacks. He also was playing very much against uh, with uh, forced fumbles with, I think he had three forced fumbles and he's a guy who I think can pair very well with this hybrid type of linebacker who you need to have kind of complement Jabril Cox and coverage in an open space. You need someone to play the run and someone else to really play the, the, the pass. And what you have are Cox is someone who can be that open space guy. Maybe you go ahead and get someone who can play your thumper role, play the run, really stuff the line of scrimmage makes, makes a lot tougher for guys like David Montgomery and guys like Dalvin cook. And I would even throw in there, you know, even potentially DeAndre Swift and, uh, you know, Jamal Williams, former Green Bay Packers running back, who's now in Detroit, what they can do against the run. So if I'm going best player available at this point, I think Derek Barnes would make a lot of sense because if you want to find a complimentary player, fix this defense as much as possible. And you can't be that mad at Aaron Rodgers because if at least you got him one weapon this year in the draft, go ahead and continue to build that defense. The offense alone was good enough last year to get your one quarter really 90 seconds away from the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. And who knows what would have happened if you would have played against this offensive line in Kansas City with this same defense. I, I mean, when you really break it down, there's a very good shot. It's the same situation where Green Bay's on top. So at that point, just based off big board, go ahead and get Derek Barnes. Thank you very much once again, Cole Thompson, man of many football hats, for donating your time and energy to our program. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But our Dash to the Draft divisional tour around the NFL continues shortly with its penultimate destination, the AFC South, home of the Jacksonville Jaguars at that number one overall pick. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review at donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Cole. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 and Cole's Twitter handle once again is at mrcolethompson. For Cole Thompson, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, wear a mask over your nose 
wash your hands, social distance, stay awesome, stay safe, and please, please, it is your turn right now if you're age 16 and up, get whatever COVID-19 vaccine is available at the nearest location near you. If you want to fill all the NFL stadiums in the country come fall, vaccines are the only way to do it. Thank you very much, everybody. (laughs) 